I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. During the coronavirus, we are teaching to an empty auditorium, but we've got two people on cameras, and Mike is back here running the board. And we've got people watching on the Internet throughout the world, and we're glad you're joining in with us. Then we give away DVDs. We meet twice a month to package DVDs to all the free people around the world. We're giving these to. I've been teaching to you about predestination and about the Sabbath. Predestination is about everything that God is doing. He does everything. I've been talking about the word predestinate, pro horizo. There are no H's in the Greek. This is the Greek alphabet right here. I usually, I go through it once in a while. A, B, G, D. Not A, B, C, D, but G. And they name their letters Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta. Here's the easiest way to remember. Just remember A, B, G, D. And why did they put the G between the B and the D? Because I keep saying they were here first. The Greek people were here first, so they got to do it their way, not our way. A, B, G, D. Then you get for this right here is real easy. E, A, S, Y. This is E, Z, E. This is the epsilon, the short E. The short E would be like this in our, in our language when it's written down. This is a Z. The Z is there between the two E's for the same reason that the G is between the B and the D. That's because they were here first. They could do that if they want. It's not at the end of the sentence. This is a Z. You'll hear me pronounce it D-Z, like in sozo. Sozo, you pronounce the Z, D-Z. Sozo. Then, so you got A-B-G-D, E-Z. This is a long E. Uh, this is a long E. It's like written like so. It's like they. They. It's a long E. Then you have a TH, a theta. This as in Thalibo, T H L I B O. Or O depending on the word ending. R-T-H-L-I-B-O. you got several letters in the Greek alphabet that are two letters in our English language, but they're one letter, the T-H and the P-H, the phi, P-H, as in P-H-I-L-E-O, phileo, is one of the words that's been translated to love. It means affection. Then you have the key, the C-H. It looks like an X, but it's not. This is an X right here. It looks like a great big E. That's an X. It's called a Kazee. K-S-E-E. Kazee. Then you've got the key. That's like in C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S, Christ. Then you got the Pazee, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S, Pazikos, and that is the word natural. 
the natural man receiveth the thing, not the things of the Spirit of God. Natural, R-P-S-U-C-H-E, that is the word soul. It means one that's uh, an individual that's breathing in a body. And uh, then you have the omega. This is pronounced O. But this back here is the Omicron, pronounced ah. So you've got A, B, G, D, E, Z, a theta, and then you've got our alphabet from here down to here. That's our alphabet. No J or no Q. There's no J or Q. I, no J, K. I looks like an I. The K looks like a K. Then a lambda looks like an upside. It looks like a, you've taken, that's an L. You, you got our L. You take the front leg off of it, bend it backwards, and let it lean back there. That's their L, their lambda. Then you have M N. I-K-L-M-N. The M looks like an upside-down H with a little flag on it. The N looks like a V. This is the X. It's a kazee. You put the kazee between the N and the O, or the Omicron. Then O-P looks like pi, and it is. O-P, no Q. Forget the Q. R, just take our R, knock the leg off, and you've got their R. S, this is an S in the middle of a word. This is an S on the end of a word. It's got a smaller curl on the bottom. S, T, T looks like a T. That's a tau. U is an upsilon. It's uh, U. It's pronounced U. And then phi, keep, Z, and omega. So what you got, A, B, G, D. E Z E Z E T H theta, and you have I K L M N X O P R S T U V K Z Omega. It's not that hard if you can get A B G D and E Z and stick this theta in the middle of there. Then you're into our alphabet. It's pretty simple. And once you learn that, then you can look these things up in an interlinear Bible or in an analytical lexicon. It'll tell you what part of speech it is. All right. Now, let me erase this. Now, I've been talking to you about predestination. There's some things about predestination you need to understand. Predestinate is not the word. That's an English word. Forget the word predestinate. That puts people on a wrong path and want to fight it and argue with it. They think that predestination, when we say it, they think we're talking about God from the foundation of the world predestinated people to go into heaven and it can be sinners or evil, wicked people and it don't matter who they are. It can be Hitler or it can be uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or Attila the Hun or it can be uh, Billy Graham or Charles Stanley and they all get to go to heaven together. Well, that's not what predestination is. Predestination is the word Prohorizo. I keep saying there are no H's. 
there's something there called the diacritical mark. Diacritical mark. And that's a breathing sound. There are no H's in the Greek alphabet. That has a breathing sound, a ho rizzo. It has an H sound. Now, sometimes the diacritical mark will be on the second syllable or the first syllable, or it can be in any number of places. But in this case, it's on that second syllable, ho rizzo. So they always write it ho rizzo. And that's the common way of writing it down. Well, later on, the Latins put an N on it. It's our word horizon. It actually means a boundary. And when we say horizon, we're thinking of the boundary of light. That's God's boundary. It's a boundary. This is the horizon, the bound, where you cease to have dark and you go into the light and that's very interesting because God's predestined us those that he foreknew P-R-O-G-I-N-O-S-K-O that's the word prognosco and it means to know gnosko intimately beforehand because it says for whom It's not for what God foreknew. He certainly knew everything because he foreordained everything to be the way it is. Now, for whom he... You've got to get this he in there. That's a pronoun. Whom he foreknew. Those are the ones that he predestined to be conformed. This is not something you do and everybody's not predestinated. Whom he foreknew, he also did predestinate to be conformed. Let me tell you something about conformed. To be always precedes in the English language an infinitive. Let me see if I can say this right. Infinitive comes from the word infinite. Something that's infinite goes on forever. So whatever this action that he or God predestinates in our life, which is the horizon or the horizon, God has predetermined his family for light to come out of darkness into light. But he doesn't do that to everybody because he hasn't chosen everybody. The next verse after it says this, after it says, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his son. The word image, icon, means likeness. It is our word, I-C-O-N, an icon of some movies. It would be these big superstars, Clark Gable or, or Robert Duvall or Robert, any of those guys. It would be superstars. 
They would be an icon. An icon of the presidency would be John Kennedy or Dwight D. Eisenhower or even the guys today, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump. They would be icons of the presidency. I'm not pointing these out to be for or against any of them. I'm just pointing to you what an icon is. So we have to be like, we're predestined to the likeness of Jesus, and that is not getting to heaven no matter what you do. When you think of the word icon, you got to think of meek. you got to think of, of poor in spirit. Blessed are they when men shall persecute you, those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Persecuted. All of the characters of Christ, that's what God has predestined us to, to go through fire, go through trials, and burn out our old self. We've got two men in us. We've got an inner man. That's the new birth. And you have an outer man. And that serves the law of the flesh. And Paul said, I've got that in me. And I don't even know how to perform right. The inner man is Christ in you. That's the new birth. That's the new birth. Christ in you. The verse that comes right after this Romans 8.29 says, Whom he did predestinate predestinate the ones he predestinated this is not God's wish this is what he's going to do the ones he predestined he called whom he called he justified and whom he justified he glorified and these words predestinated is of course the word this is verse 30, Romans 8:30. Whom he predestinated, that's the word, predestinate, prohorizo. Called is the word kaleo. And ek kaleo, ekklesia, which is a form of ek and kaleo, Ecclesia means the called out. So called, justified, D-K-I-O, D-I-K-A-I-O-O, and then glorified, doxa. All of these, these predestined, called, justified, glorified, they're all aorist, indicative verbs. An aorist indicative means a past tense. This is why God has not predestined everyone. He's only got a certain people because there's none righteous, not one. And nobody seeks after God. There's none that seeketh after God. God has to predestinate him a self, a family that will become like Christ and live godly and holy and righteous. That's why these people that preach and accept Christ's gospel or walk down the aisle and it's a one-time thing. They mislead people and people don't think they have to do anything. We have to be obedient to God's word. There's a couple other words 
that go with this prohorizo. You have the word horizo, which doesn't have the pro on it. And then you have the word op, A-P-H-O-R-I-Z-O. Oporizo. And then you've got one other word that's in the Bible one time. And it is the word, it is the word op-o-dia, A-P-O-D-I-ho-rid-zo. So it's got this op and horizo in it. Well, there's six times this word horizo is mentioned in the Bible. Six times. And the op horizo means to separate. It means to, uh, when the Bible says, when Paul says, God has separated me unto the gospel. Separate. And then when he says again, uh, he separated me from my mother's womb. And he's talking about separating. In Second Corinthians six seventeen, come out and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. Well, separate comes from the word apo and horizo. Horizo means to bound or set off a boundary. And that is what God is telling us to do to separate to the boundary. Now, this word op, op, diomerizo, let me give you that. That's an interesting word. That's one time in the Bible, and God commands us, uh, Jude 19. Let's look at Jude 19. This is the only time this is used in the Bible. Horizo has to do with the light or with the truth. So when people separate themselves to do something wrong, it's not light and it's not truth. In Jude 19, he's talking about evil men who separate themselves, their sensual having not the Spirit of God, which is the truth. They set up a false boundary line. This is not the horizon of God. It's their own border and their own boundary. And they set themselves up to judge others. Now, this word aporizo means to separate. Come out and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. And that word is mentioned... Hold on, I'll give it to you. That word is mentioned ten times in the New Testament. How do you know that? You look the word up in your concordance, then you take a you take a word study concordance, look up the word in the word study concordance, look up the Strong's word, and it'll give you every time that word is mentioned in the New Testament. Now, let me show you something else. I'm trying to educate you on how to study the Bible. Now, I want to go over here in the Septuagint. Let me give you something. In the Septuagint, anytime you see LXX, that's 70 
in Roman numerals. That is also a term, LXX, for the Septuagint. The Septuagint was one of the most reliable translations of the Bible. I've got one at home. It is a translation from Hebrew. It is not original text. It's a translation from Hebrew into Greek of the Old Testament Hebrew. Old Testament. Why? Well, in around 200 B.C., the people of the world, the scholars said, we need to translate the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek because the world under Alexander the Great had been given the Greek language. They had a different dialect of the Greek language in every city-state. This was the Koine, the common, that word means common. It was the common street language, and they had a different dialect in every city-state. That's why they said in Acts 2, how here we ever man in our own dialect wherein we were born. It wasn't a Pentecostal tongue. It was a dialect. When they translated it over, Alexander the Great was lived from around 330, 332 B.C., and he died a young man on his deathbed in around 318 B.C. It's believed that one of his generals killed him so they could get a hold of his of his uh of his kingdom and he had four generals that it was passed to now the Septuagint when they would come across the word Gibul Gibul means border it's the word border when they would come across that they would translate that Horas Horas is a Greek word that comes from the word horizo, means a bound. When you, when Israel is coming to, let me see if I can say this correctly. They're coming out of, out of this Sinai Peninsula. They come out of Egypt. Here's Egypt. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. I don't know why I put a B up there. The Mediterranean Sea is up here. And this goes on around. Comes up to Israel. Israel is over here on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. And it comes up in Turkey is up here. Or Asia Minor. When they're coming out of... They go down here. They get the law down here at Sinai, Mount Sinai. And when they get that law, they're going God gives them a law that they have to live by, not only in the in the wilderness, but when they get to Canaan let me move Israel down. When they get to Canaan here, which later on will be called Israel they have to live by God's law 
within the borders of Israel. They have to begin live by the law of God. Law of God. And God did not have a freedom of religion in ancient Israel. If you tried to preach some other religion, that was a death sentence. You would die for that. Or you'd be carried away into captivity for that. So they're supposed to live what they had. They had inside the coast of Israel. The word coast comes from the word horizo. Horizo, Israel was called the kingdom of light. Or the kingdom, what if I said the kingdom of truth? Because the light is the truth. And you got to keep in mind, you got to keep in mind, the border was the horizon. Or it was the light. It was in the light. Now, let me show you something that probably is really confusing to a lot of people. Go over here to Hosea, the fifth chapter. We're going to look at something here. Look at something. And if you read this and you don't understand what I just put on the board, you're not going to have any idea what this means. Hosea, the fifth chapter. All right. And Hosea is preaching against, all through this book, he's preaching against Ephraim. Ephraim, Hosea wrote this book somewhere in the neighborhood of 785 B.C. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 785 well, northern Israel does not fall or collapse till 722 B.C. <clears throat> so Hosea is attacking Ephraim. And Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph. And Ephraim, Ephraim was northern Israel. That's on the right side of this chart. That's northern Israel. That's the land of Ephraim. The Bible will call Ephraim Joseph. If it says Joseph long after Joseph is dead, it's talking about northern Israel. If it says Judah, it's talking about southern Israel or Judah with the southern two tribes in it. So, I want to show you something here that people don't. If you just read it, you're not going to understand it. But if you haven't learned something about Old Testament. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Let me give you this. Hebrews 5. In my Bible, I have surrounded every time Ephraim is mentioned. And in this fifth chapter, I have circled it with green marker. You got Ephraim mentioned in verse Nine, ten, three times, or twice in twelve, and twice, once in twelve, and twice in thirteen, once in fourteen. He's preaching against northern Israel. Why? Because it was northern Israel 
through Ahab. He's in northern Israel, the land of Ephraim. <clears throat> Ephraim was given the inheritance of Israel in that 48th chapter of Genesis when Joseph in Egypt brings his two sons. He brings uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. His oldest son is Manasseh. Ephraim is his second-born son. And he brings them over with his with his left hand upon the head of Manasseh to come to Jacob's right hand because the hand of blessing or making Manasseh the leader of Israel was Joseph's intention. And he has Ephraim in his right hand leading to Jacob's left hand in this 48th chapter. And Jacob reaches over, crosses his hands, and puts the right hand of blessing, of inheritance, to be the leader of Israel upon Ephraim. So that's what makes northern Israel Ephraim. A lot more to that story. I don't have time to tell it. It is Ahab of the land of Ephraim, or northern Israel, that brings in the gods. Ahab brings in the gods of Jezebel's father up here in the land of Tyre and Sidon. That's what this verse I'm going to read to you is talking about. And what that does, that puts Israel puts Israel on track with idolatry and there you'll find that in First Kings, the the sixteenth chapter. That's where Ahab brings Jezebel's father's gods. His name was Ethbaal. That was her father. He was the prince of Tyre. He's equated with Satan himself, and that's where he he marries Jezebel. and brings her father's gods down into Israel. That's what this is talking about right here. And it uses a word that is kin to the word horizo. <clears throat> and then he says, in verse 8, chapter 5 of Hosea, Blow ye the cornet in Gibeah, and the trumpet in Ramah cry loud at Bethaven after thee, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. He's, for, he's foretelling, he's foretelling when the Assyrian Empire comes in and carries northern Israel away into captivity. That's what he's talking about. Among the tribes of Israel have I made known that which shall surely be. And the princes of Judah were like them that remove the bound. That word bound is the word gibul. When they translated it, they translated it horas. Horas is the same thing as Horizo. I can show you that. What does that mean? 
It means they had a boundary line in Israel, and you had to serve old Jehovah God only. They moved the boundary to take in the gods of Moab, Ammon, Rimmon up here in Syria, R-I-M-M-O-N, down here to Egypt to take in Venus, to take in uh, all of the gods of Egypt, Osiris, Isis, and the list goes on and on. They moved Israel's bounds by taking in the gods of all these pagan nations. And that's what it's talking about here. Gibu, Horas. The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Wherefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked after the commandment of these other nations. That's what all this is about. That's why they've got all that trouble in the Middle East. Israel was scattered. Therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth and to the house of Judah as rottenness. It finally moved down into Judah when Ahab's daughter, when Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, married down into Judah, married the king of southern Judah, married, she married Jehoram. Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, one night they saw him, they see each other at some party, and Jehoram looks at Athaliah and likes her, says she's hot, and he marries her and brings all these gods down into southern Israel. That's what moving the bound is about. They move the boundary to taking the gods of all these people around them. It's just unbelievable. Let me give you some words on this. In the New Testament, you got other words that are associated with with this. You have the word horia, H-O-R-I-A, which is a form of horos, which is that word that you use there that they move the bound to take in all these gods. I think America's done the same thing. They're taking in the gods of this world. I keep saying, what are the gods of this world? It's just as bad to be involved in any kind of idolatry. Idolatry, E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A, comes from Ido, meaning to see, E-I-D-O, meaning to see, and latruo, meaning to serve. It means to serve your car, your house, everything that you put in your eyes, your money. It's disgusting. I keep saying, what's wrong with America? They got too much money. When you look at all through the New Testament, this word horia, which is a form of, is a form of horizo, 
It's the common word coast. Our border. The coast of Israel was supposed to be the, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and down here to the, to the Dead Sea, and then over to here, and no further than down here and up here. But they were going over and taking in the gods of all of the different world. That's astounding. So the common word, let me just turn over to Mark 7. Just look at Mark 7. Mark 7. This is the word in the Greek. It's the same basic word. It will tell you it comes from the word horas. It's the word horia. It's a form of horizo. There's so much to this. Uh, Mark 7.31 Mark 7 In the Septuagint, this is the way this is read. Mark 7.31 Again, departing from the coast the word coast is the word horia. In the Septuagint, it would be the word horos. And there's no H's. It's got the breathing sound. Departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast, or Horea, or Horas. Coming from the word Horizo. What are you getting at, Jim? What I'm getting at, this word Horizo, which is the form of the word predestinate, it comes from the word it comes from the word horkidzo. H-O-R. This is a form of it. H-O-R. I want you to see this. Horizo is not the only word there. You say, I don't believe in predestination. God knew who would accept him. Yeah, he knew who would. Nobody. There's none that seeketh after God. You've got to throw these other words away. The word Horkidzo H-O-R-K-I-Z-O is a form. It's the word, actually the word O-R-K-I-Z-O. With a diacritical mark. Has an H sound. It's a form of Horas. It's you got all these other words that it's a form of. These are what you call morphemes, word shapes. It means they're all forms of the same word, morpheme. Morpheme comes from morphe, and that means shape. I keep saying, I remember in my biology class, 1953, 54, I was in biology class at Beaumont High School. My teacher was a Jew. I didn't know it at the time. Silverberg was Jewish. But he was a Jew. Mr. Silverberg taught me about metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. 
He said that was the process of a grasshopper starting off as a nymph, a little baby, and then it grows more, starts to form these legs and these wings, and then he ends up a full-grown grasshopper in this metamorphosis. Meta is a Greek word. Morphe is a Greek word. It means shape. It's a metamorphosis. Well, that's what morphe means. It means word shapes. And you've got all these words. This word, horkidzo. Horkidzo means to adjure, to charge. It means to demand that we take an oath. And it, it is a form of the word horkos with that diacritical mark in front of it. Horkos is the word oath. It means to take... So whenever you are predestined, you have been pre-programmed out here in the wilderness so that you will go over here and you will abide by the laws of God, the laws of light, the laws of Horizo. Because he is predetermined. Did he predetermine all those people in the wilderness to go up here and the ones that lived, they're going to live by the laws of God, by the laws of light. One of the great things about this, when you look at the word Zion, Zion means sunny, full of light. Zion was the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. The temple was built in a temple of light. He said, we are transformed into the temple of light. The word in Matthew 5.33, Matthew 5. You see, if you don't go to the Greek text, you can't know these words are all a form of one another. In Matthew 5.33 but shall perform unto the Lord thine oaths. The word oath is the word horkos. It's a form of predestinate. Or it's actually a form of horizo. That's what it is whether people like it or not. And he says the same thing. To take an oath to God. You remember something that that means. Remember we're talking about seven, the word seven in the Greek is the word Shabbat. And it has a form of the word seven, a morphe 
a word shape would be S-H-A-B-U-A-H. That word means, it means to take an oath. And when you look in your Strong's, it'll say, under the word Shabuah, it means to seven oneself. Or to be able to take an oath. But you can't just take an oath to God by saying with your mouth. Your heart has to be ready for that. And the Bible tells us in Second Peter, Second Peter 1 and 5, Besides all this, give all diligence, add to your faith, epi, C-H-O-R-E-G-E-O, and that is not an invitation. It's an imperative mood in the Greek. That's a command. That's something you have to do. If he commands us to do something, it's the same thing as when Jesus would say in the beginning, let there be light. Same kind of command. Coming from God. No choice in it. So whenever he says that, he names seven things you have to add to your faith starts off with virtue well let me go over there and flip to that so when we take an oath to God God charges us or demands that we take the oath and we have to live inside of Israel spiritual Israel the church and when we live inside the church or spiritual Israel we have to be obedient to his laws People say, you don't have to obey God to be saved. You certainly you don't have to obey to be saved, but because he's saving you, you have to obey him. He's coming back, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. We have to be obedient to the faith. Faith works by love, by agape. You can't be a believer without being obedient to God. You're not a believer. I don't care how many times you walked down an aisle and claimed to have gotten saved. Now, when you add these seven things, that's the only time you can take an oath to God. When you're sevened. Now, look over here. Look over here in Second Peter. It, I may have to go through this again because you can't just get all this all at once. You know that? You can't. People say, how do you preach to an empty building? It's, it's easy. You just got to love this word and this book and realize I'm talking to people out there on the Internet. If you're watching, I'm talking to you. This is talking to every one of us. Then he says, besides all this, give all diligence, uh, diligence to add to your faith. He didn't say, if you'd like to add, he commands us as his elect believers, hear this, and add to your faith virtue, which is maturity. Arete is the word. A-R-E-T-E. Mature. How long does it take you to grow up? 30 years, 40 years, 50 years spiritually? The longer I live, the more I know that I don't know. 
virtue to virtue knowledge, gnosis. How long does it take you to learn this book? I've been studying it for 64 years, and I feel like I know so little. And these people who say, I'm educated and I got a doctor's degree. Oh, yeah. What can you doctor? A tractor or what? I don't believe in doctor's degrees. I don't believe in calling yourself anything in Job. Let me tell you something God said in Job. Job Job says, God doesn't want to give me flattering titles. Hold on here. All right. He said, if I take flattering titles up on me, God will destroy me. He says in verse 21 of chapter 32, doctor don't belong on some preacher. Reverend doesn't belong on any preacher. Reverend is the name of the Lord over in Psalms 110. Reverend is God's name. Reverend is the word Yahweh. It's mentioned one time in the Bible. It's the same word as fear. You mean you're supposed to say Reverend Billy Graham, fear Billy Graham? No. Reverend is the name of the Lord. That belongs to no man. When Job said in verse 21 of chapter 32 of Job, let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. Neither let me give flattering titles unto a man. D.D., I think that stands for dead dog. Ph.D. stands for FUD, Elmer FUD. That's about all I get out of a Ph.D. I've known some Ph.D.s. They're not worth a plug nickel. They know very little about the Bible. For I know not to give flattering titles, doctor, rabbi. I've had people call me and say, what, what can I call you? I say, well, you could call me Jim. That's my name. Or you can call me pastor, but reverend belongs to nobody. That's God's title. For I know not to give flattering titles, in so doing, my maker would soon take me away. He'll kill me and destroy me if I start lifting up people and looking up to them up here when they're actually in the gutter. Now, where was I? Here's the thing when you take an oath to God. Here's what happens. You have to add these seven things. Add virtue, arete, maturity. Takes a long time. You know, that word, arete, has the basic same meaning. These are synonyms in the Greek, arete. That's virtue here. It equals perfect. Perfect. Be there for perfect. Perfect. Teleos. T-E-L-E-I-O-S. Mature. Grow up. Be therefore mature even as your Father which is in heaven is mature. Virtue and perfect have basically the same meaning. We got synonyms in English. The wind blew, the wind raged. Blue and raged are the same thing. 
just depending on how hard it blew. Now, at virtue and then knowledge, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. Takes a, I never quit adding knowledge. I read all the time. I've always got a book close to me, around me. I pick it up. Even if I'm watching some football game, I'm reading a book while I'm doing it. I never stop reading. Reading is what will educate you, but you can't believe everything you read. You have to learn to glean through a book, pull out the truth, and I keep saying if the book says I.E., that means that is to say that's the writer's opinion. It may or may not be true. You need to check it out with the rest of the information. Or, I believe this means, well, it may mean that and it may not mean it. There's no set of books that's got everything exactly right. I've gleaned through the McClinic and Strong, the Encyclopedia of Religion, by Hastings. I gleaned through Mr. Edersheim's book. I gleaned through, I even, I love the commentary on the New Testament from the Tom and Hebraica, but I don't agree with everything Mr. Lightfoot says in there. Some things I have to say, well, i got to pass that up. Then he goes on to say, you're adding to your faith. This is how you take an oath to God or you take that horkos, horkidzo. This is how you do it. You seven yourself. You add to knowledge, temperance, incrontia, e.g. K-R-E-T-E-I-A. It means strength, K-R-E-T-O-S. In fact, these words all remind me of something else. E.G. is just a form of N. It means strength within. Kratia reminds me of democracy. Democracy comes from demos, means the people, and kratia, K-R-E-T-I-A. It's a form of this same word, but it means strength of the people. It means the people get to vote for what they want. But God's has already voted, so I don't believe in democracy. I believe in inner strength, not democratia, strength of the people. And then he says, you, you get to studying the Greek and you're seeing Greek everywhere. I was watching TV in this uh show come on one night it was a Charlton Heston movie and uh, it said the agony and the ecstasy was the title of it I said agon ecstasis just went boom just like that agon the agon was the arena where they would get in and fight and fight the gladiators and run the races and that was called the agon We get our word agon, agony from that. We get the word agonizomai, A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I, which is a Greek word. It's our word agonize. And we say, God says, strive to enter at the straight gate. 
And that's also an imperative command. It's an imperative mood. It's a command. Agonize. Well, he's telling you to add all these things to your faith. You see Greek everywhere. Agony and the ecstasy. Ecstasis. means to stand or to stand ecstasy means within it means stand or crucifying self oneself within agony and ecstasy are Greek words now we see them everywhere in our society then he says here's why it's good to horkidzo which is that word to or horkos means to take an oath and everywhere you've got oath in the New Testament it's the word horkos it means to take an oath to God but you can't take an oath without adding these seven things and then he says to knowledge temperance to temperance patience hupomone Hupomone is the word patience. In the Greek, you got a, you have a noun and a verb form. The noun there is patience, and then you have the verb, which is hupo. May know. And the Bible says, they that endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Who's going to endure? Those that God is working in and those that God is commanding. Virtue is the first word on this list. All right. And here's what happens when you horkidzo to the border of Israel and you abide by the laws. Did Israel abide by the laws? No, they they moved the bound to take in the gods of all these nations around them. And that, believe it or not, that was the same thing that Constantine brought in the church and renamed Christmas or Christmas. I don't know why preachers don't know any of this. And then you add patience, then you add godliness. Eusebia, E-U-S-E-B-E-I-A. Eusebia, it means a well-sebomai. And and in Strong's, they say this means the resurrection or the gospel scheme, the scheme of the gospel. It means to live in a righteous, godly way. And then to godliness, you're commanded to add brotherly kindness. Philos, Adelphos. It means an affection for the brothers. But the thing is, if a man calls himself a brother and he's walking disorderly, we can have no fellowship with him. Adelphos is the word brother. We get the word Philadelphia from this. 
is the city of brotherly love an affection for brothers but my brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the father so you got to take that in consideration and to this to brotherly kindness you got to add charity and charity is the word agape and second john six says this is agape second john six this is agape that we walk after his commandments and one of the commandments is add to your faith another is agonize over sin this is not just about the ten commandments it's about all the imperative moods and when you add these things you're getting involved in horkos and oath which comes from the word horizo and you have to live by the horizo, by the light or the truth in the kingdom of God. And he's transferred us. Now let me go ahead and give you this. In Colossians, the first chapter. And then I'll come back to this. Colossians. First chapter. When you're talking about Horizo, you're talking about the light of God. And in Colossians, first chapter, he's talking to a Gentile church. The Gentiles came out of darkness. They've come to light. And he says in verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet or worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son which is the kingdom of light. The kingdom of Horizo, of Horkos, taking a and these are all the words. If you want to know where I get this, you go into your Strong's Concordance. You get the number of the Strong's number, just for instance, of Horizo. Horizo is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. Horizo. Keep remembering all these words come from they're forms of the word horizo. Horkos, horia, horkidzo, meaning to challenge, to adjure, or charge us. Horkos, meaning to take an oath to God. But in order to take an oath, you have to add all these things to your faith. And when you add them to your faith, let's go back to Second Peter. You say, Jim, is the Bible that intricate oh it's absolutely a lot more intricate than this you think God gave us a book that we can understand without studying it you can't understand the Bible unless you study it and dig into it it's just the way the people treat the Bible the word of God is insane they act like it it's nothing. Oh, whoops, wait a minute, I flipped past it. Second Peter. 
Now, when you take this oath or this horkos, the Bible mentions the word horkos ten times. And it'll tell you all about an oath, how many times it's mentioned. Let me see here. Let me get back over to say, when you take this oath, this horkos, which comes from the word horizo, which is a form of that, it's because you're going to live in the land of God according to his laws. You can't be in the church without being obedient. Will you do that all at once? No. That comes in time. Now, when you become, when you add these things, Mike, how much time do I have? 28. I'm going to get to some other things. Now, Second Peter, back to adding to our faith. Here's the thing. For if these seven things be in you, you're going to take an oath to God. How long does it take to add these seven things? 40 years, 50 years? But you're adding every day. You're going through fire and trials. That's making you give up self and add these things. For if these things be in you and abound, here's what they make you. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. What does that mean? You're going to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, generous, meekness, goodness, so forth. In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these seven things doesn't take an oath to God. It doesn't say that, but it means that. He that lacketh these things is blind. He's not saying you're lost and you're a sinner. He's saying he's a blind believer and you've got a long way to go. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see very far. You can see, but you can't see afar off. You can't see where you're going. You have no vision for the future. Cannot see afar off and have forgotten something. He's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. This is a person that's a believer that has refused to add, and he's living in rebellion. And then he gives you a wonderful statement. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That doesn't mean to be positive. Sure is the word be by us. It means to stabilize. How do you stabilize? You add these seven things over the years. And when you add the seven things, you become stable. Gosh, minds us of the salt of the earth, doesn't it? You become stabilized when you add. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I wasn't, didn't plan on this today. Maybe I got time to say it. You had to add, add to your faith seven things and it'll stabilize you. It'll make you stable.
I hadn't said this in a long time. How many faiths are there? There's Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. There's one Lord, one faith. There's one faith. One faith. Add seven things to the one faith and it will stabilize you. You'll become stable. You're not stable before you add to your faith. You are unstable. I was walking around the house one day 15 years ago and I was thinking if if uh, we're the salt of the earth we must be the sodium chloride. And I got to thinking I need to take I had a chemistry book that was given to me by the the orthopedic surgeon for the Titans. His name is Burton Elrod. He got to listening to my DVDs and watched me on TV. And he brought me a chemistry book. And I looked up in this chemistry book, I looked up sodium chloride. This is what I found. Sodium chloride. All right. And I began to read in this chemistry book, and they said that every atom in the universe is looking for another atom to bond with so that they will have so they will have eight electrons in the outer orbit. That outer orbit is called the valence. The valence. And chlorine is deadly if you just come in contact with chlorine. It will kill you. Just pure chlorine. Sodium, there's one one atom, one electron in the valence of sodium. Sodium is a metal. Sodium is a metal. A metal is a foundation. It's a rock. You build your foundation on a rock, not on the sand. It's a rock. There's one faith, one electron in this. Faith is a foundation. It's the same thing as sodium. It's a foundation. The Bible says so. It says faith is the substance. Substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. 
substance is the word hupo stasis hupo means under stasis means to stand another word for understand would be would be sub hupo means sub or under sub and under have the same meaning a submarine means under the marine or under the water so a substanding would be a foundation and if you're going to build something you got to start with a foundation well when you add these seven things when you add the seven electrons to the one sodium electron in the outer valence it stabilizes and becomes stable it becomes table salt chlorine is a deadly gas you cannot you cannot contact it come in contact with it and sodium is very very erratic it wants to bounce around and react with anything but these two are natural companions sodium and chlorine they come together when you add the seven to the one they destabilize and become NaCl or table salt and we're the salt of the earth without adding these seven things we end up sodium and chlorine you have to add the seven to the one it amazes me that the Bible teaches that in 2nd Peter 1 and 5 down through 10 if you add these seven things it says you'll never fall you'll become stable if you like these seven things if you if you're not sevened yet everywhere you find seven it's the word Sheba in the Hebrew it comes from Shabuah meaning to take an oath and that's what Horkos or Horkidzo is Horkidzo means to charge us to take an oath and the word oath is Horkos has the basic same meaning as Horizo. So we are we are told if you're going to live in my kingdom, you got to go by my laws. And when they didn't go by the laws, they were scattered all over the world. And Constantine brought that same system that Israel went after: Baal, Grove, Shemash, Molech, and all those nations around them where they moved the boundary and took it all the gods, the sun and tree gods of the world, the gods of Egypt the gods of Moab, the gods of Ammon, the gods of Babylon, the gods of Syria, the gods of Lebanon. And Israel was worshiping them all. I hope you could understand that. I don't know if I made that real clear. But this is the sodium chloride. Adding the seven. If this is like you're going through the fiery trials of life. And you don't add these trials to your life. 
you're unstable, just like sodium without the addition of the fire and the trials. Now, how much time do I have? 17. 17. All right. Let me go back here and take you. We've been talking about... I, I don't have time to go through a lot here. Uh, we've been talking about Israel coming to the light. I mean, the we've been talking about the the Gentiles coming to the light, coming to the Horizo. That's where they're coming to. And when the word, let me read to you something about Horizo. This is out of the. Uh, this is out of my Kittle's New, Test- New Testament dictionary of Greek words. This is a. This is a ten-volume set on New Testament Greek words. It's the first volume has got it's the A volume and it goes through other words and it's it's got 34 pages just on the word agape or agapao agape is one of those words that has been translated in the New Testament as love or charity. And people, you hear preachers say, agape is a godly love. It's not that ignorant. When you look at the best definition, sometimes I had a Greek professor tell me one time, you get the best definition out of the context of Scripture sometimes. Well, agape gives you the best definition in 2 John 6. It's the best definition for agape in the Kittles Dictionary of New Testament Greek Words. It will say that agape was a relationship that fathers had for their sons. Fathers for sons. They gave them laws, and they willingly walked in them. That's exactly what Second John 6 says. This is agape. This is love. It says love, but it's the word agape. Remember the other word that has been translated love is phileo. They don't mean the same thing. Don't believe that when preachers say that. Phileo just means affection. But you can't have affection for your brother when he's walking disorderly. This is love. This is agape. The verb form is agapao. Or let me put it this way. Agape equals. This is agape that we walk after his 
commandments. That's what it is. What is the commandments of God? Is that just the Ten Commandments? No. That's every time you have an imperative mood. That is a command. I remember learning what an imperative sentence was. I was in elementary school back in the 40s. I don't remember if I was in the 5th grade or the 6th grade. But it was somewhere around 1949. I was just about 10 years old. And I remember the teacher, may have been Mrs. Johnson, who was my 5th grade teacher. May have been Mr. Parnell, who was my 6th grade teacher. I don't know. One of them said... That you got four kinds of sentences. Number one, you got a declarative or a statement. They said statement. And that ends with a period. And then you have number two. One of them told us this. Then you have an interrogative. They didn't put it like that. To interrogate means to question. An interrogative is a question. And that ends a question mark. And the declarative, which is a statement, ends in a period. And then they said, you have an exclamatory or exclamation. That ends in an exclamation point. And then they said, you have an imperative that is a command. Jim, shut the door. Take the garbage out. That's an imperative command. If the father says that to the son, he has to do that. That's an imperative. It's a command. Well, when we walk after his commandments, we don't just walk after the Ten Commandments. We don't kill, we don't covet, we don't steal, but we also are involved in the imperative moods of the Greek. Imperative moods. And you had many imperatives. Strive to enter in the straight gate. That doesn't mean try, it's the word agonizomai. Agonizomai. There's humble yourself under the hand of God. T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. That's not an invitation. You can't humble to God and men at the same time. You have to humble under God's hand. That means to cut down self. It actually means to level mountains and hills. Mountains and hills. There's two mountains in the Bible, Babylon and Zion. Zion was where Israel sat. And when we have a mountain of Babylon founded on self, let us make us a name. We need to cut that down. That's an imperative command. You have you have all kinds of imperative. There's about 1,900 imperative moods. 
but you're going to have to understand when the Pharisees gave an imperative mood that was their opinion when God through one of his apostles one of his epistles writes an imperative mood that's a command from God when Jesus gives an imperative mood that's a command so if we really agape God says if you love me you'll keep my commandments keep is the word tereo they were written in our hearts by God and it's as though we are a guard on duty it means to guard against loss God wrote them in our hearts the point is not whether we can do them all or not we know they're in our heart and we say they are right whether I like it or not whether you like it or not they're in your heart if you're a believer so do I have any time let me read this is on Horizo out of out of the Kittles dictionary Horizo means a boundary Hohoras which does not occur uh, but limited time in the New Testament to limit to set a limit to fix to a point fixing of the borders on the occupation of Israel that's what it is it's the borders the boundary time can be limited Acts 17:26. God has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation I'll go into that next week the more general to a point to determine according to the, what has been determined by God delivered according to the determinate counsel and decree or the foreknowledge of God it says at the bottom of this article the reference is always talking about horizo pro horizo means to determine the boundaries of light ahead of time or the boundaries of truth the reference is always to the predestination of the Christ event by God that's what Orenzo is always referring to a feature of the eight Horizo passages in the New Testament is that with the exception of Acts 11.29 that's where the apostles determine something they are emphatically theological and Christological they describe the person and the work of Jesus Christ that's what Horizo describes it's determining the light then you have the word Apolizo the son of man will divide the good from the bad as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25 and 32 and that is the word aporizo in that verse then you have this word apodiorizo double compounds with apodia are rare dia this is where men are planning for themselves dia well I don't get into that later I don't want to get into that right now prohorizo out of Kittle's Dictionary of New Testament Greek six times in the New Testament 
in the sense of to foreordain or to predestinate, since God is eternal and has ordained everything before time, prohorizin is a stronger form of horizo. The synonyms and textual history show that the reference of prohorizin, the word ending is changed depending on the character. The synonyms and textual history show that the reference in prohorizin is the same. Romans 8 and 29, the omniscient God has determined everything in advance. That's what Mr. Kittle says. And poor people don't like that. Both persons and things in salvation history with Jesus Christ as the goal. When Herod and Pilate worked together with the Gentiles and the mob against Jesus Christ, it may be said, and he quotes from Acts 4.28, they were there for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jews were all there screaming, crucify him, and they were there predestinating the murder of Jesus. Determined before is the word prohorizo. Acts 4.28 The death of Christ was preordained by God. And Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. He laid it down according to God's plan. If he wanted to, he could have called. Well, he couldn't have. He'd already promised. He said, I could call ten legions of angels to deliver me. It would only take one. That was Michael. He could kill 185,000 men in one night. He could have killed everybody on the spot there at Calvary. The goal of our predestination is divine sonship through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 and 5, that we may have our inheritance in Christ. We've obtained an inheritance. We've have, we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. The whole thing about predestination, it's about God's light, God's law. Law and light are basically the same thing. So when you're predestinated, you're foreordained because God picked you out because you don't have any goodness in yourself and you had to do what he says. If he births you by his will, and he did, of his own will beget he us. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That word will is the word thelema. It means determination. What God determines to do, he will do. And nobody can stop the hand of God from doing what he wills to do. He, there in Daniel 4.35, Nebuchadnezzar said after he got up on his all force, The Lord doeth according to his will in these armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay the hand of God or say to him, 
what doest thou? That word stay, Mecca, means to stop or arrest the hand of God. If he wanted to save everybody, he could do it. Has it ever occurred to anybody that God knows how to convince a man in his heart to believe him? And you can't believe on God on your own. I hope you're getting a hold of this. I got more to say on predestination. I'll do it next week. Am I out of time? We're going to continue this because there's so many things. And the the Gentiles have been brought to the light by God because Israel moved the bound. It's all about Israel moving the boundary line to to take into their worship darkness and not light. The light was God's word. The darkness is all those false gods. The darkness is covetousness, which is idolatry. That's idol worship. When you're covetous, the idol you worship is that guy in the mirror that you worship daily. I hope I, this thing of predestination, it's connected to everything in the Bible. It's God's boundary, God's light, God's laws. It's taking an oath to God, but you can't do that until you add all these things to your faith. I'll come back next week and do some more on this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. There's so much to your word, I don't even know how to explain it all. Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for letting me see these things and impart them to the people so they can begin to see them. Help them not to be discouraged, to take time learning. Fight our battles. Lead us to your elect. We rely upon you in Christ's name. Amen. I hope that helps people see. Predestinate is not just the word horizo, pro-horizo. It's all these words connected to it. has come from write to me and tell me I don't know anything about the Bible he's wacky wasn't he (laughs) I think these people that write to me and say those crazy things I think they're funny well they discount the Greek one of the first things he said was you can quote all the Greek you want it's like yeah okay and what is that that's New Testament dumb dumb I can't believe people. People are very presumptuous. They haven't heard anything. They don't know anything. They've never studied, and they want to pass judgment on you. Yep. And they think that English is the original language of the Scripture. They're stupid. There's no English 2,000 years ago. That's crazy.